Goodness gracious. Well, friends, happy Father's Day. Happy kickoff to the day before uh, VBS. Happy celebration of the Lord's Day. What a big day. Uh, it's already been a blessing. Well, if you look over to my right here, your, your left, uh, you're going to notice that this is becoming like a shelf of knickknacks. Pretty soon I'm just going to have little precious things, little memory, uh, little, little figurines and stuff here. Uh, as we go through this series, I've been adding to the collection of, well, kind of knickknacks, but they're not just that, they're symbolic. Of course, we always have our cross. And we put some of the um, colors there. Uh, I think those came last summer while I was gone, and I found them. They're beautiful. I love them. So I'm going to put those up again for Pentecost because I want to just keep, because here's my latest thing. I just, I just want to keep emphasizing and going into Pentecost. So I want that there. We always have our reminder of our baptismal vows and our reminder of the communion we're invited to through Jesus Christ. And we've been going through parables, right? So I've got, uh, I've got the hoe there to represent the parable of the, the sowing seeds, the souls. Yay, people are engaging with God's word. This thrills the pastor's heart. So let's let this remind us to be like the fourth soil, right? Why? Because the fourth soil grew the word of God. It wasn't like the first soil where, you know, the birds snatched it away or the, the seeds that uh, fell on the path and, you know, they kind of started to sprout up, but trials came and they withered and died. Uh, some fell among the thorns and some of us have allowed thorns to just choke out the good word of God in our lives, but let's keep being good soil. And then we got the bags of gold there. Last week we talked about um, our talent, our time, and our treasures, of course, We're being stewards uh, for God's kingdom. It's a beautiful invitation, but it is our responsibility. There is a stern warning in that one. Like, you, you take your role as a steward seriously. And the great news on the other end of that is there is great reward for being a part of God's kingdom. It's a beautiful invitation. And I threw a towel there to remind us already of where we're going today. Where we're going today is going to be very familiar. Let me just read it to you. Um, and as I do, you're gonna probably be like, oh, I know this one. And then you're gonna check out and be thinking about the US Open or something uh, happening that somebody's probably already watching on their phone here in the room. So um, no, 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 fully engage here with God's word, even as you hear what I know for everybody, because it's in culture is a very familiar story. Here, Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to start here at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of our Lord. Amen, amen, friends. Well, the story of the Good Samaritan is, it's a part of culture. I mean, I don't think there's anybody, even if they're not a churchgoer, who has not heard reference to the Good Samaritan, being a Good Samaritan, that doesn't have some awareness of this parable. Um, it's just a part of our culture. It's a part of our lives. There's Good Samaritan laws in the books here in Colorado and almost every state in the nation. And they're literally called Good Samaritan laws. Uh, if you just go online and Google um, Samaritan blank, you will find you know Samaritan's uh, purse and Samaritan's uh, keepers and Samaritan's servants and Samaritan's... You can hardly find something that doesn't, hasn't already been claimed with the word Samaritan in it. There's even a good Samaritan insurance company. I don't know how they got away with that, but they are trying to be good Samaritans and running an insurance uh, business. There are books, there's a podcast, there's songs. Uh, there's apparently a Sylvester Stallone movie that came out last year called The Good Samaritan. I mean, there's, it's just, it's a part of our lives, right? Are we all aware of the story of the Good Samaritan? Am I telling anybody anything they don't know? Do you all, you, you all you've heard the story before, right? Please, please work with me here. I, again, I, I'd like to work with you. Uh, uh, do you all agree with the story of the Good Samaritan? Are you gonna argue me to say, mm, nope, don't buy it. I, that's, that's just totally off the mark. Would anybody disagree with, this, with the principle of the Good Samaritan? No, no, no and, and, and even if you do, don't admit it now. You should not admit that now. We, we, we know the story, we agree with the story, so what's the problem? We're not living the story. And, I, and I'm not saying this to beat you up, I'm not saying this to beat myself up. The, the problem, the rub, the issue here is we're just still in process of fully living out what we know to be the truth revealed to be good neighbors, to be good Samaritans. So this will be a complete waste of our time this morning. If on the other side of the next hour, all right, we'll give it another half hour. If on the other side of the next half hour, we are not feeling more inspired, more equipped, more compelled to actually have the eyes to see and the feet to go and the hands to serve to just live into this a bit more. So let's do that. Let's, let's not, in a sense, waste any more time than we have to preaching about it, talking about it, dissecting it, working on it. Let's just get on with living into it because we will not be commended for, you know, do you understand the story of the Good Samaritan? Yeah, well, fine, that, that, that's fine. Do you agree with the Good Samaritan? Yeah, I do, of course, fine. No, what does Jesus say at the end? He says, go and do likewise. It, this, this has 
to be one of these teachings that doesn't just land in our heads and stay there, that doesn't even just move from our heads to our hearts so we have this feeling, we have this uh, inclination, uh, you know, good intentions. Good intentions are good intentions. No, this has to be a go and do likewise teaching of Jesus Christ or we've wasted all of our time and we're not being faithful. But again, this isn't to beat us up. Let's just get on the other side of this and hopefully be a little more inspired, equipped, and eager and ready to go and be good Samaritans. So let's spend a little bit of time though unpacking it so that we can enjoy and understand and embrace the story a little bit more. Jesus meets up with a lawyer, proof positive that he is willing to associate with the dregs of society, the least and the lowly, the, I come from a long line of lawyers, I'm always allowed to make fun of lawyers. So no, he, he has a meet up with a lawyer and this lawyer, as lawyers so often are the butt end of jokes, um, people really wanna kind of already jump on the lawyer and say, oh, he was testing Jesus. But that's really not the case. I mean, this was par for the course. This is normal for these interactions. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was going out teaching. Teaching was done in the, in the place of public discourse and there was interaction about the teaching. So Jesus isn't like, whoa, somebody's pushing back. You know, no, no, he's like, no, this is great. Let's engage with the material I'm teaching you. So Jesus wonderfully engages with the material and the lawyer's question. Um, more so, we have to love this because Luke apparently said, huh, of all the stories, again, he was collecting in his study of the life of Jesus, putting together this orderly account. He's like, you know, this lawyer actually, he, he asked a good question and um, Jesus had a good answer and we should get this out there for, for everybody to understand. What's the lawyer's question? Do you remember what started this? It's not as the first question. Yeah, he says, what? must I do? Yeah, this is the context we can kind of lose. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his initial question. He's asking a question about salvation. And if the preacher might preach for a little bit, that's a good question for all of us to ask. We should all be asking about the question of our salvation. We should all be self-aware and engaged enough with our own life and our own time to say, maybe I should be concerned with the matter of inheriting eternal life with the question of my own standing before God and my place in eternity in the kingdom of God. And how we answer the question, how do we inherit eternal life, how are we saved, will of course have profound implications for how we live out our lives. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, we might just say our lives are an extension of living out our plan for salvation right? The way we live our lives, the way we're conducting our lives, the choices we're making, the relationships that we're nurturing, uh, the, the, the decisions that are guiding, directing how we uh, make our money, how we spend our money, how we use our time, how we interact. These, in many ways, we could draw a line back to say, this is how I'm working out my plan for salvation, my plan for the best way to live life. Now, of course, on one end, we might find somebody who might scoff and say, how must I be saved? Well, <laughs> that's your problem. You think you need to be saved. Get over that hang up. Get over that religious uh, protocol. You know, you know, you know why, are you, why are you still being shackled to those old ways of thinking? You, need, you don't need to be saved. Listen, life is here. Now you live, you die, get on with it. Just make the most of the time you have, right? Sort of that full embrace of the natural, the material. 
but a lot of us aren't completely comfortable with that. <laughs> we have the, this sense, this urge, this inclination, this echo that says maybe there's more to this life. A, lo a lot of people then, they, they just simply say, well, if I live better than that guy or that gal, I'm probably all set, right? We, we, we can all kind of look down the line and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person over there, so that probably means I'm pretty good, right? So however things work out in the span of eternity and God's scales of justice, you know, it, it's, it's going to work out for me because I know there's people worse than me. But again, if we press into that, if we live into that, if we work in that for a while, a lot of us aren't real comfortable with that either. We're like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable just creating my own scale of justice and trying to live into that. So some of us, then we try to live a really good life, okay? If I'm going to be saved, I'm going to get really religious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go to worship. And I'm not trying to shoot myself in the foot or discourage any of us from doing any of those things. But as we lean into the practice of faith in many ways, then even, even we who do that, sometimes then we start to get those inklings. Is it enough? Is it ever enough? Uh, how would I really know? And if I really start actually, instead of looking down the line that are people that I might just deem, you know, living not a good life and start looking up the line, you know, where do I stand and do any of us actually measure up with God? And so what a lot of us, of course, land on is something in a sense completely different. And we say, well, maybe this experience, this living into uh, eternal life, inheriting eternal life, living into salvation, maybe it needs to come to us very, very differently. Of course, we would answer maybe it comes to us as a gift from Jesus Christ who offers to us salvation. And we receive that gift and we begin to live out of a gratitude and awareness and understanding of simply having a response to what has been given to us now and wanting our whole lives to be a reflection of that. Of course, that is much of the Christian life and what we preach and teach and share this good news to the world to receive this gift and begin living into it. Well, this lawyer, he's pressing up on this. He's an expert in the law. He's a lawyer. He's an expert in law. He seems to be having some troubles with, okay, am I doing well enough? Am I, am I good enough? And, and Jesus then, of course, just does a, does a I mean, just, just like as a master teacher, a master communicator, he just kind of flips the script. He says, well, you're a lawyer. You're an expert in the law. You've been engaging with this material for some time now. Um, we can understand in the context, Jesus is probably just teaching some other things. He just says, well, what's, what's your take? And to understand the take that he gives, this had become kind of a, a, a synopsis, uh, a summary of much of the law. What he does is he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy, and then he quotes a verse from uh, Leviticus. The, the first one kind of summarizes the first tablet of the law about loving God. Uh, the first four commandments, the fifth commandment about loving parents, that's a kind of a transition. And, and then the quote about loving your neighbor, that comes from Leviticus. That's a summary of the last five commandments. And Jesus agrees with them. He's in full agreement with the lawyer at this point. I mean, he, he commends him. In fact, when Jesus is asked the same question in the other gospels, we know he gives the same answer. So this is going around. It's still going around. And it's a good summary of the law. Love God, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a great way to live. 
the lawyer, he should have just stopped, <laughs> you know, but I'm glad he didn't, but he didn't. Um, and he said, I don't know, just something in him. He, he couldn't help himself, <laughs> you know, like sometimes I'm guilty. I just can't help myself. I got to open my big mouth. And he's, he's, he goes, he goes, and, you know, he kind of, I don't know if he's, you know, kind of slyly asking this or very sincerely, I'm not the judge of that. Uh, who, okay, I've been thinking about this for a bit, Jesus, and I just gave you the answer, and you were getting a little pushback on it, so then the real rub. Okay, so who is my neighbor anyways? What does that really look like to love our neighbor? So Jesus gets into it, and then here we go into the parable mode, and parables are great because they're going to start with a context, with a setting that we can all relate to, but they're going to then throw a curveball at us. They're going to throw something that's going to be like, oh, I gotta, I've got to wrestle with this now because you just took something that I thought I knew and you shed a new light on it, and this is messing up my paradigms of thinking, Jesus. I mean, that's the beauty of the parables. So he just starts with this story and people would have understood the context of this journey and how it happens. He says a certain guy from Jerusalem is heading down to Jericho. We know it was a journey of about 17 miles. We know it was literally down. You, went, you go down about uh, 2,500 feet to go from the city to Jericho. And we know it was a dangerous path. It was out kind of in this open space, very desert, you know, how we kind of picture desert wilderness just places to hide and not much more. And there were robbers along the way. It was known that you shouldn't travel this road alone if you don't have to, because things happen when you go down that path. Now, I will say this, an interesting thing I read about was that um, kind of pre-Reformation, people really saw this actually um, interpreted primarily as an allegory. This is actually an allegory for all of our lives. And the way that they taught that and they breasted that, they said, this is a story literally from the city of God because Jerusalem, the temple, and the city just kind of grew around the temple, the center of worship, worshiping God, celebrating God, sacrificing to God, seeking God out. And Jericho had a past history of not being a good place. Remember, there's the story of marching around the city of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. Jericho was long then seen as kind of the center of things ungodly, away from God. And it was literally then this downward journey. So they said, well, this is the story of all of us. All of us have actually been on a journey away from God, falling from God, down into sin. It's not God who turned God's back on us. It's we who turned our back on God. God didn't lie to us. God didn't deceive us. God didn't hide from us. We lied from God. We hid from God. We went away from God. That has been the story of humanity. And we, of course, believe that is the truth. When we honestly assess our lives, it is we who have run from and go away from God. But then this is going to be the story of Jesus, our good Samaritan, who comes and saves us. So it is, in a sense, a beautiful allegory of, I think, what is the truth of our experiences as we have run from God in so many ways and so many areas of our life. But regardless of that, he begins to tell this story. And as the story goes on, of course, the man is on his way down, and for whatever reason, running from God, away from God, you know, he, he's going down, he's going away from God, away from the city of God, and he falls into trouble, he's robbed, he's beaten, he's stripped down, and left half dead. And along comes 
Who was the first person to come along? The priest, right? And so Jesus, of course, has everybody's attention. A priest is going to come by. What's going to happen here? Well, of course, some pe people have had some thoughts and ideas about this priest coming down this road. Why is this priest going from Jerusalem down to Jericho? Maybe he's on a downward journey, a journey into sin as well. Who knows? I don't know. But this priest is on the journey. If anything, though, when he sees a man half dead on the side of the road, he should at least be reawakened to his call, to his vocation, because he is literally called to be a servant of the people, right? Yes. Now, of course, people have said, now, what, uh, why, why would the priest walk, walk by? If the priest would see somebody who is a Jew lying half dead on the side of the road, and we won't get into the details of this, but if you're, there's a detail of the story. Well, all right, I'll say it. There's a detail of the story where he's stripped naked and left half dead on the road. And if you see a Jewish guy naked, you kind of know he's Jewish. But we aren't, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna unpack that too much, too much to say he should have known this is a brother. And even if he wasn't, He's a brother, he's a human being, he's a fellow image bearer of God. He would have been obliged to help the man, but he doesn't. But what if he's dead? Wouldn't he become ceremonially unclean if he touched a dead body? Oh, well, actually the Old Testament law superseded that. He should have given a Jewish brother a proper burial, even if he did find it. The point is this, he has no excuse. He really has no excuse. You, you cannot justify this. Remember, Jesus knew, he had that insight. He wanted to, the, the, the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. What the brilliance of this is, is like, this priest can't justify his actions. There's no way, he, there, there's no loophole, there's no trick. There, there's nothing that should have gotten him out of helping this man or giving this man a proper burial. He should have done something. He should have been a good neighbor, but he wasn't. But he wasn't. Um, then we see who's the next character who comes by in the story? The Levite, right. Now, a lot of people will say this, like Levite, they were often priests, but they didn't have to be priests. They were kind of set aside for certain functions. But the Levite more, and, and, and I think this is a good understanding of this, when you see the priest come by, a lot of people would say, well, that's the priest, and I can't relate to all that the priest does. But there's that sense that whenever just a Levi one of the tribes of Israel, one of the people, in the, one, of, you know, one of the tribes of the people of God, whenever he comes by, that's kind of like our everyman, you know? The, the, the regular Joe, right? Well, we'd like it if the regular Joe comes along and he becomes the hero of the story. That, that, that would be awesome, you know? That would be, you know, like, like we don't relate to like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all the big muscles, you know, like that's the kind of here, you know, we relate to the Bruce Willis, you know, like the, you know, like that's, that's my, you know, the cop, the every, you know, am I making sense so you get these references from 80s action movies? I hope somebody does. Uh, you know, like the cop, you know, that's our guy. He should help out, but he doesn't. He doesn't help out either. Okay, so at this point now, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's, he's got their attention. Is anybody gonna do anything to this guy who obviously needs help? And in comes the most unlikely of heroes. We cannot overstate, <laughs> I mean, we cannot overstate just that Jesus here in his brilliance, he has picked the last person you would expect and the least person you would want to be the hero of this story. 
just pick your, your, your preferred enemy. <laughs> this is the Palestinian helping the Jew. This is the Jew helping the Palestinian. Let's get a little more maybe closer to our context. This is the Republican helping the Democrat. <laughs> this is the Democrat helping the Republican. This is the person who wants to build a wall, stopping to help the refugee or the immigrant, or the immigrant coming across and stopping to help the person building the wall. This is the homosexual helping the fundamentalist. This is the fundamentalist serving the homosexual. The, this, is, this is just literally pitting the least likely of neighbors together. And that's the invitation of this parable. Not just, as we've heard elsewhere in scripture, not just to love those who love us, not just to love those who are like us, not just to love those that it's easy to love, not just to love those that it's convenient to love, not just to love those who it's expected that we would love, but to literally love those that we might otherwise deem unlovable because of the love of God towards us in Jesus Christ. Because as far as you think that this priest and this Levite and were, were from this Samaritan, <laughs> How much further are we from the holiness, from the glory, from the righteousness, from the justice of God? Infinitely broader, wider, deeper chasm of separation. But we who were by nature enemies of God were loved enough by God to have a savior in the son of God, Jesus Christ. I say it all the time at Christmas, but it bears repeating here whenever the angel comes upon Mary and, and she's promised the son, what's the promise? You're gonna send a, a savior because that's what we needed most. We needed to be saved and so God sent a savior. And the invitation for us here is in a sense, and I don't wanna over push it, but this isn't just being good neighbors. This is bringing then, going back to the beginning of the story, this is us bringing salvation love, care, mercy, whatever is needed. And in doing that, we're literally bringing this invitation, this gift of salvation in our service to the people around us. And everybody deserves the gift. Everybody deserves the invitation. Jesus wants the gift, the invitation to go out to everyone. And that's the rub, that's the key, that's the brilliance of this. It's not just a story about doing a couple good works. It's actually a story about going deeper and we're participants then and sharing the way that we receive this gift of salvation. And again, the rub here for us is this. Now, maybe I should get the band up and, and they'll get ready to take us out. Because here's the implication for this, of course. To go from this place and we know, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to be a good Samaritan. I'm supposed to be a good neighbor. But no, here's the real rub of this. What does it look like for me to go out and to be the good Samaritan, to be the good neighbor to the person I really don't wanna be a good Samaritan to, to the person I really don't wanna be a good neighbor to? What's it look like to go out and be the good neighbor to the literal neighbor whose barking dog drives you crazy? <laughs> to be a good neighbor to the neighbor who parks their car in front of your place all the time and it drives you nuts. <laughs> 
to be a good neighbor to that coworker who drives you crazy, to be a good neighbor to that kid at school that nobody else wants to associate with, be a good neighbor to that person you see panhandling all the time. And then to have that thought, maybe I see them all the time because I should actually stop and be a good neighbor to them. We can always justify our busyness, our schedules, our limited resources, our precious time. We can always justify ourselves in not being good neighbors. The invitation of this parable is to say, stop it. <laughs> stop being like that lawyer. Stop justifying your excuses. Go and love the most unlovable of people around you. I'm going to say a prayer here, and it's going to, it is going to be a prayer that you're going to be like, amen. <laughs> like you're not, you're not going to like the prayer, but I'm praying it for you. I'm going to pray it for myself. And it's that in the coming days, weeks ahead, that we might actually be people who stop and say, I, I'm going to extend myself. I'm going to inconvenience myself. I will lose time in this. I will lose energy in this. I will lose resources in this, like the Samaritan. But I'm actually going to go and be a good neighbor to maybe the most unlikely of people who would expect me to be a good neighbor to them. And knowing how God works, <laughs> I trust that he may impress upon your heart and mind some people that you've been very resistant to love in your life. And nobody said amen. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this isn't just a cute story. This isn't just a compelling story. This isn't just a gripping story. This isn't just a like, kind of a, a wonderful story. This is a hard story. This is a hard story with a hard invitation that actually invites us to love the most unlikely, the most unlovable of people in our lives. But God, you loved us. <laughs> and are we not the most unlikely and unlovable of people sometimes, but you loved us. And you came to be our neighbor. You came to be our savior. So Jesus, let us take and share this gift and just be good Samaritans, be good neighbors, to love as you call us to love. And if we do that, Church, I'd like to invite you in. The invitation is to respond. I know that for the last few weeks I've been wrestling with the story of the Good Samaritan myself. Because so much in our culture is focused on the opposite of what that means. And it's been a real challenge for me. Who is my everyone and everyone means everyone means everyone means everyone it doesn't mean people that look different from me I don't those aren't my neighbor people who think different from me those aren't maybe neighbor no those people are my neighbors everyone means everyone means everyone and love means love means love that's what we're called to do we're not called to transform those people that's the Holy Spirit's job we're called to go in and be a good neighbor and be a good Samaritan and that's a hard thing to do because that's not what we're conditioned to do. So as we respond with the song, Build My Life, I would challenge you to 
seek a place to pray, seek a place to worship somewhere in this room, gather with another person in, in this building who maybe you've never prayed with before, and say a prayer with them and over them, blessing you all I know that might seem weird because that's not normally an invitation we give out here at Connections, but being a good Samaritan is a challenge. It's not easy. We're going to sing Build My Life and encourage you to respond.